Hello, everybody, and welcome to the May 19th, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I am your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. Okay, so to start off, I would like to say I am about to engage in this cancel culture thing I keep hearing about. Now, I have no idea what that is. Primarily because it seems to be really, really vaguely defined, kind of like unicorns or Bigfoot or anything else that just doesn't exist. And any examples people can ever show me of it turn out to be completely false. In fact, oddly, people who get canceled tend to actually get more popular as a result. Or, assuming they're hurt at all, which they usually aren't. Um... To my understanding, cancel culture is just when a bunch of people are mad that someone is racist. I think that's a very good definition of it. But anyway, I am about to engage in that. I am going to attempt to cancel Axios. Seriously. Seriously. For this horribly bigoted headline, I'm going to put a giant trigger warning on this. Israeli ambassador... Lobbies for West Bank annexation fearing Biden victory? Oh my god! Oh my god! How could Axios dare run such an anti-Semitic headline? How could this Barack Ravid of Israel's Channel 13 News dare say such a thing? I mean, as we all know from the controversy surrounding Ilhan Omar, it's absolutely impossible for there to be an, Isra an Israel lobby that's interested in promoting Israel values and keeping foreign aid to Israel going. That's just impossible. Seriously, that is just impossible. And for that matter, how could Israel annex this West Bank when Palestine and the West Bank and Gaza don't exist? Every Zionist knows that. Every good Zionist knows that. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't get over it. That was just... Oh my god, that whole controversy was ridiculous. And we're still kind of... We never develop past that attitude, too. And that's why I keep bringing it up. I remember at one point, I wrote an article called Sirhan Sirhan, the guy who shot Robert F. Kennedy, was an Israeli, okay? I wrote an article called Sirhan Sirhan was an Israeli. And the key thing that inspired that article was seeing this Zionist, um, I think it was the American Israeli Council is what it was called. But no, these guys are self-proclaimed Zionists, okay? A lot of people think Zionist is a slur. Um, it, it is not. Tons of supporters of Israel self-identify as Zionists. Yohar Mazani calls himself an Israeli nationalist and then directly says that's a Zionist. In, like, page two of his Virtue of Nationalism book that every single one of these people has read. Um, however, I remember seeing this article talking about how Sirhan Sirhan shooting RFK was an example of the radical evils of the Palestinian population. And then I was just thinking, wait a minute, don't these same people claim Palestine doesn't exist or is Egypt or Jordan? Which, side note, side note, they say that, but now, as Benjamin Netanyahu has directly said, and as Josh Hammer has defended, 
Now they're saying that Israel should annex Jordan. So apparently they do believe that um, Palestine is Jordan. Or is it, no, it's Gaza they think is Jordan. And they should also annex all of Gaza. <laughs> I mean, this is just ridiculous. Seriously. And it is only with Israelis you can say that about. You know, if I say there is a lobby somewhere in the U.S. that is specifically dedicated to making sure that the U.S. is on good terms with Muslim nations and that they give foreign aid to Muslim nations, that's completely uncontroversial. I'm not an Islamophobe. If I say that there are uh, lobby groups that are meant to represent African interests, again, that's totally non-controversial. It's just an objective fact. I'm not a racist. Same thing if I say Asian interests. If I say there are lobbying groups meant to keep European interests, make sure that the U.S. is on good terms with Europe, and for that matter, make sure that we keep sending our troops to Europe, um, which we still do to this day, by the way, I believe so at least, then yeah, I'm not seen as anti-European. However, just acknowledging the fact that an Israel lobby exists is considered anti-Semitic, and it's utterly nonsensical. Especially considering a lot of them admit to it. Um, when APAC was going around, that was the big thing Ilhan Omar said that annoyed all these people. They're saying that APAC has influence over U.S. foreign policy. That same year, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi both showed up to APAC. APAC posted a video listing all the politicians they've worked with, and they include basically every president since Clinton and a good amount of their staff members. But no, guys, no, no influence here. And mind you, that in of itself is not even a bad thing. Okay? Israel having a lobby does not mean I dislike it in any way. I want to make that clear. The fact that Israel has a lobby in of itself and has interest groups that are meant to represent its interest in the U.S. Congress is not an issue. That does not mean that Israel controls U.S. foreign policy, which I don't believe. In fact, if anything, I believe it's the other way around. Israel is geopolitically more or less just a military base for the U.S. I mean, I think that's a fair assessment. However, it's the fact that you are not even allowed to mention that Israel does, in fact, have a lobby without being accused of anti-Semitism, something that the U.S. is very, very sensitive to. That's just ridiculous. And this is best seen over at Daily Wire and by Josh Hammer. I don't know if Hammer still works for Daily Wire, but I remember back when he was writing for Daily Wire, um, he reported on the head of the New York City Council, I forget his name, saying there was an anti-Semitic crisis in New York. And of course, all the comments were blaming those dirty black people for killing all the Jews or something, because that's the audience Josh Hammer has. But they're not anti-Semitic, so it's fine. Uh, <laughs> and the source for that was a gay, HIV-positive Democrat. If he had said that about 
any other group, Hammer would have not written an article about it, or if he did, it would have been mockingly. Seriously. And I remember I even talked about that when I responded to it. There's no anti-Semitic crisis in New York. They've risen because crime has been at such a record low in general. Um, but I don't know. That's just kind of the thing that bothers me about a lot of hardcore Zionists. And mind you, there are legitimate reasons to support Israel. I don't have a dog in the Israel-Palestine fight. I really don't. I don't really care who wins. Seriously. I mean, I'm a long-standing critic of radical Islam. I do not believe Israel controls U.S. foreign policy, as a lot of people do. But at the same time, Israel operates on John Wick morality. That's just undeniable. I'm sorry, but that's just undeniable. Their responses tend to be disproportional to what they're attacked with. You know, people in Palestine shoot these rockets, most of which miss. And Israel occasionally responds by bombing them. And those bombs, by the way, don't miss, for the record. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's very disproportional. That's John Wick morality. And if you want to argue Israel has to operate under that, as I have seen people do, as I have seen people like Alan Dershowitz and Dennis Prager do, okay. I'm not going to deny that that's perfectly possible. I'm not an expert on the Israel-Palestine conflict. I'm not. However, at the very least, I expect the people to acknowledge that. And too often they just don't. But let's uh, see the, some, the extent of the pure anti-Semitism that Axios puts on display. Israel's ambassador to the U.S., Ron Dreamer, dreamer, dear, oh my god, <laughs> could there be a whiter name? That's the other thing that I really don't get about all of these accusations. If you look at the people who run APAC, I'm actually going to look up who runs APAC right now. Yeah, um, the people who it's anti-Semitic to criticize include the chairman of APAC, Mort Friedman, okay, who, side note, Basically just looks like a younger Mike Pence. <laughs> Anti-Semitic to criticize them. And Howard Kaur, who again, also looks like an old white guy. But totally, totally, it's anti-Semitic to criticize these Jewish icons. I'm sorry, but this whole thing was just ridiculous and it still is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure that uh, Howard Kaur, just every day, he suffers so much anti-Semitism in his day-to-day -day life. Oh, man, I should probably uh, make sure no one's actually committed a hate crime against him first. Give me a sec. No, no one's ever, like, committed a hate crime. I'm sure you get so much anti-Semitism. As do you, Ron Dreener. Just, wow. Uh, has been lobbying Trump administration officials, members of Congress, conservative pundits, and other D.C. influencers in recent weeks to convince them that Israel must move forward on the annexation of parts of the West Bank before November's election, fearing that Joe Biden will defeat President Trump, according to three U.S. and Israeli sources. By the way, I also want to say, 
oh, thought this guy was involved with SOPA for a minute. Now I, then I'd really hate him. I also want to say before we continue, Joe Biden is really your biggest fear when it comes to anti-Israeli attitudes. Like, I know that these are the same people who believe in this really weird conspiracy that Barack Obama walked to the White House one day and said, You know how I'm going to destroy Israel? I'm going to make a deal with the Iranians. Despite the fact that deal also kept Iran from getting a nuke. But they didn't actually read the Iran deal. They just know that theoretically it could maybe kind of not help Israel. Uh, <laughs> So I know Netanyahu admitted to being the reason why Trump pulled out of it, but no influence, no influence. I'm sorry, but that whole thing just bothered me so much. And side note, then when Noam Chomsky said Barack Obama's running the biggest terrorist empire of all time, the Daily Wire laughed at him and criticized Bernie Sanders for associating with him. You guys remember that one? No, no, you see, you can't say he runs a terrorist empire. You can only say he enabled it and supports it. Like us moderates. It's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. But anyway, Joe Biden, by the way, has a nearly spotless record on Israel. Like, this is the guy who has spoken at APAC tons of times. But I guess since he supports a two-state solution, I know I guess that means he's anti-Semitic or something. But even then, what do they think Joe Biden is going to do on Israel? Like, are they really under the assumption that he's the kind of guy who would block funding of some kind, which he'd, he'd never do? He'd never, ever do. He considers the relationship to be too important to do something like that. But no, guys, totally. Totally. I believe you guys. Joe Biden's going to come out and then you know what he's going to do? He's going to destroy Israel personally. Seriously. And he's going to do that by not allowing them to annex the entire Middle East. And then eventually the entire world. Oh, and if you say there are any influencers or lobbies for Israel, you're anti-Semitic. Now let me go meet with AIPAC. Anyway, uh, here is some good news. U.S. legislators passed bipartisan bill mandating Holocaust education nationwide. Um, the Never or Never Again Education Act ensures $10 million over five years, so $2 million a year, uh, for Holocaust education in U.S. schools. A two-year effort to ensure the victims of the Holocaust won't be forgotten reached a milestone last week. A federal bill passed last week secured $10 million over the next five years for Holocaust education in schools nationwide. I completely support this. Now, I tend to not support uh, the federal government getting involved in education as a point of principle. However, of all the things the federal government has done, this is one I can't really object to. I mean, as it stands, the fact that there are schools that don't teach about the biggest genocide in the 20th century and the definitive war of the 20th century as well. Because don't forget, World War II started the chain reaction that really leads us to where we are in the contemporary world today. 
There's a reason the beginning of contemporary history is typically cited as after World War II. Because that's when we got everything else, every single part of our current politics is basically a reaction to World War II and the Holocaust. However, however, I remember I did see some comments um, when I first saw this saying, oh, well, why aren't they teaching about Stalin's genocide in Ukraine or the Armenian genocide in Turkey? And don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. Both of those were not as significant as the Holocaust, okay? From a political standpoint, they weren't. The Ukrainian genocide, according to the highest estimates, did kill more people, although we don't really have accurate estimates on that. And even then, that's just if you count Jews versus Ukrainians. If you count people killed in the Holocaust, of which there were 11 million, if you include non-Jews, versus the highest estimate of the Ukrainian Holocaust, which was about 7.8 million, then, yeah, that, there's a reason one kind of takes priority. For that matter, it just didn't have the same effects as the Holocaust has on mainstream politics. Same thing with the Armenian Genocide. Although, Lindsey Graham did stop a bill specifically to recognize that, so maybe it still has some effects. Although, Although, they do have a point in that, in a history class, you should be taught about those genocides as well. Maybe not in the sense that they're all equally as important to the modern world. However, they should be taught. Because here's the thing, the Armenian Genocide, we don't talk about this a lot, the Armenian Genocide is denied just as frequently as the Holocaust by various Middle Eastern governments. Uh, the Armenian Genocide was a genocide, for those who don't know, that was done against the Christian population within the Ottoman Empire. I believe it was, yeah, it was the Ottoman Empire. Around the, I, around the time of World War One, I, I can't pinpoint the exact date right now for some I want to say 1911. I'm going to look that up, actually. I'm not even going to pause the recording. We're going to find out together. The Armenian Genocide. And of course, the first thing we get is the Andrew Goldberg movie. Um, 1915 through 1917. So I was close. So I was close. And of course, that was done to Islamify the population of Turkey. So that should be talked about, and it is an important event, and it is denied worldwide. The U.S. does not even recognize it. There was a bill to recognize it, but that was stopped by Senator Lindsey Graham. Lovely fellow. Um, won't, will believe anything else Muslims have done that he's told is bad, except that, of course. So yeah, these people are right. We should be talking about the Armenian Genocide, and we should be talking about Stalin's Genocide in Ukraine, which was also denied. Now, it's not denied anymore. It isn't. Although that was denied at the time, when Robert Conquest wrote a book on it, and um, that was back when the New York Times was still denying it. He even considered renaming, or naming a revised edition of the book, I Told You So, You Fucking Idiots. Because he was just blown away by how many people denied it. 
And that's really the theme going on here, is that the most dangerous genocides, the ones that first come to your mind when you think genocide, are the ones that people were denying the entire way. The ethnic cleansing we see as evil, but that we don't really focus on, are the kinds with the people admitted to it. There are still Holocaust deniers to this day, people like David Irving, for instance, who is still around, still publishing books, basically claiming that Hitler didn't know the Holocaust was going on, or that the Holocaust didn't happen, or various others, just utter nonsense. There are still Armenian genocide deniers. One of them, I believe, is President of Turkey. I forget his name, though. But there are deniers of the most horrific genocides in history, and children should be taught about all of them. Now, preferably not when they're like six, but you know what I mean. I actually remember there was an episode of Duck Dynasty. Uh, don't ask how I know this. I, like, never watched that show. Or watched that show. I don't think it's on air anymore. Uh, where, the, where the rednecks, I don't remember their names, went into a classroom of kindergartners and explained 9-11 to them. I think that, yeah, that was, was that Duck Dynasty? I think that was Duck Dynasty. It was some reality show. Okay? Don't do that. Do not do that is my point. But yeah, children in a history classroom who are old enough to understand genocides should be taught about every single form of genocide that has influenced their world, especially the ones that are as horrific and as commonly denied as the Holocaust, where there's still deniers, I already mentioned David Irving, there's also Tobin and his great crowd of people. Um, the Ukrainian genocide, which is denied by progressives for years on end, and the Armenian genocide, which is still denied to this day. So teach them about all of them. No more genocide denial. That's my method. No more genocide denial. Okay, David Irving, you're wrong. So is most of the presidents of Middle Eastern countries. Iran is wrong when it holds a forum to review evidence of the Holocaust. They're also wrong when they do the same thing with Armenian genocide. I think that's perfectly fair to say. Anyway, here's some news set up to confuse uh, Josh Hawley and his buddies. Joe Rogan experience to become Spotify exclusive. Comedian Joe Rogan's hit podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, is set to become a Spotify exclusive by the end of the year as part of a multi-year licensing agreement with the music streaming platform. In Instagram post on Tuesday, Rogan announced the podcast is moving to Spotify starting September 1st. The podcast uh, will be available on Spotify as well as all platforms, and then at the end of the year, uh, it will move exclusively to Spotify, including the video version. It will remain free and will be the exact same show. It's just a licensing deal, so Spotify won't have any creative control over the show. So what I'm hearing, what I am hearing, is that YouTube is a monopoly. I'm sorry, but how can we live in this world? YouTube nearly lost PewDiePie. They're biggest performer, their biggest channel to DLive a few months ago, because DLive was giving a better service, YouTube had to pay them millions to keep streaming on that platform. 
Um, and for that matter, now we see Joe Rogan just up and leaving for Spotify. And his show is still almost certainly going to remain as successful. Alex Jones, when he was banned from YouTube, he went to Band.Video and bitch you. That's what it was called. It took him a minute to remember. As did Nick Fuentes. But no, YouTube is totally a monopoly, guys, and we need to break it up. State attorney generals are already launching antitrust suits against Google when there's just no reason to. Seriously, there is just no reason to. Because monopolies do not exist within a free market. They don't. Hence why one of some of their biggest creators, some of YouTube's biggest creators, YouTube, by the way, is a site that barely breaks even, if I'm not mistaken. Literally, the only reason Google doesn't just pull the plug is because it would be complete chaos if it was abandoned or if it declared bankruptcy and because they probably get a nice federal subsidy for keeping it open. But the fact is that YouTube is not a monopoly. They've just barely kept their biggest guys on board, and now they're losing Joe Rogan. Now they're losing Joe Rogan. Hey, um, Josh Holly, how is Google a monopoly? Hey, all those state attorney generals filing antitrust suits. Where's the monopolization? Spotify is not owned by Google, by the way. At least I don't think it is. No, Spotify is also the name of their parent organization. Okay. So Spotify is taking Google's revenue away, is what we're seeing right now. But at the same time, there are still people who say that Google is a monopoly, despite the fact that if you don't like Google as a search engine, you can go to Bing, you can go to Yahoo, you can go to DuckDuckGo, you can go to all these different websites, don't like YouTube, you can go to all these other platforms, as we're seeing when people are banned from YouTube. You know, there's a quote on the back of my book, that I th and it's also in my book, Ramblings of a Madman, Life as an Anarchist, link in my bio, that I think sums this up perfectly. Have you guys ever noticed that everyone who complains about YouTube being a man, or that, who complains about Facebook being a monopoly has a Twitter. You guys ever notice that? Or how everyone who complains about Twitter being a monopoly has a Gab or a Medium or an Instagram or a YouTube or all these different platforms. Your presence online, if you are a typical content creator, is spread out on so many platforms owned by so many companies that fears of monopolization are utterly nonsensical. Now, could there be theoretical merges at some point in the future? Possibly. I don't know for sure. Maybe, maybe not. However, as of right now, the claim that Google is a monopoly is absurd. The claim that um, Facebook's a monopoly is completely absurd. Facebook is only breaking even because of government subsidies. The claim that Twitter is a monopoly is absurd. There are so many other platforms you can go to. And in the case of Joe Rogan, someone who's so big, 
for just doing multi-hour interviews where he talks to people. And that's not me dissing on Joe Rogan. I don't dislike the guy. I've even listened to some of his episodes. I don't listen to it regularly because they're really long. I've listened to a good amount of his episodes, and he seems like a nice guy. And I have nothing but respect for what he does in a free market. He makes money by talking to other people for upwards of four or five hours. That is really impressive. And he's even got major presidential candidates on his show. That is, again, that's impressive. That's just a newer version of what talk show hosts used to do. You know, people like Johnny Carson and then later Jay Leno and, you know, John Stewart and people like that. They used to do that thing and now it's a podcasting formula and I have nothing but respect for those people. And obviously not every podcaster can be the next Joe Rogan. I mean, I want to be the next Joe Rogan, but that's probably not going to happen. Um, however, what this does prove is that at the end of the day, companies are most worried about their money. We all understand that. And the fact is that there is never going to be monopolization as long as we the people give even the slightest bit of a shit about stopping it. YouTube cannot buy Spotify. Google cannot buy Spotify. Okay? Facebook cannot buy Twitter. Uh, Twitter cannot buy Instagram. Any of these companies people accuse of being monopolies all exist within a free market full of competition. And this is just yet another way that shows it. Do you think really Spotify could do this if YouTube was a monopoly? No, they couldn't. No, Google would immediately have bought them out or swooped in and offered Joe $200 million. I didn't actually see what uh, the deal was. I just assumed it was like $100 million. It's probably not. No offense to you, Joe. Um, I actually can't find the amount this deal was. Damn it. But still, uh, Google would have swept and said, Joe, we'll give you... A kajillion dollars to stay, in which case he'd say, can you give me a real number? Okay, a billion, okay. That's how a monopoly would actually operate. And it's so cartoonish that such a thing could never exist. The word monopoly, as progressives use it, cannot exist. There's another book I'm going to recommend you guys check out, besides my own ramblings of a madman, Life as an Anarchist. Um... I'm going to recommend you guys read Robert Murphy's The Politically Incorrect Guide to Capitalism, Tom Wood's The Politically Incorrect Guide to American History, and I forget who wrote this book, but read The Myth of the Robber Barons. Read those three books. You can really just read the last one if you want. And you will understand why monopolies do not exist in a free market. And this is yet another example of that. Anyway, uh, some of you may remember a woman named Losing Loser, Deanna Lorini. Uh, <laughs> of course, she isn't the first Losing Loser. That's Chris Kobach. However, she is one of many Losing Losers. If you don't remember her, the way California's elections work is they sort of do two rounds, like the France presidential elections, where the primary every candidate, doesn't matter from what party, the parties can put up as many candidates as they want, and the top two go to the general. Well, she ran in a primary against Nancy Pelosi, got 2% of the vote. 
Last time a right-wing woman did that bad, it was Faith Goldie, and then she blamed it on those women voting. It was hilarious, for the record. Um, <laughs> but don't you worry, guys. Deanna Loreen, the QAnon conspiracy theorist, is going to run again, maybe. She said in a recent interview, this was covered by Right Wing Watch, that she's considering running in certain districts in Florida where she can win. I think that's going to be absolutely hilarious. Deanna, I want to say this. You will be the pinnacle. The pinnacle of every slow news day. Oh, wait, my bad. It was 2020 she lost that primary. It was this year she lost that primary. She's already talking about running again. Oh, my God. Didn't we make fun of Hillary Clinton for, like, hinting at this or for doing anything after she lost? I mean, okay. Okay. I just... Oh, God. I want to see that, but I don't, because I know whenever I say, I want to see this person run, because they'll so obviously lose, that means there's a better chance they win than if they didn't run at all. Um... However, I would like to say, you are a loser, Deanna. You just are. Okay? Now, you have two things you can do. You can either accept that and move on, or, this is the or, you cannot do that and continue running. Apparently, you're going to choose to continue running. In which case, you're just going to probably lose again. And again and again. Because these QAon America First people are just a fad, or were just a fad in all honesty. The 2018 election was primarily a rejection of America First ideology. Hence why Republicans took control of the House and won almost every Senate seat. They, they did lose a few Senate seats, mind you. That's why Democrats took control of the House. My bad. And the only reason they didn't win the Senate was because they had, like, two-thirds of the people up were Democrats. Like, that's why they didn't get the Senate. If, they, if that hadn't been the case, they would have probably gotten it. I mean, Jesus, they got, like, 60% of the Senate votes overall. The 2018 election was just one big middle finger. To America first policy. And I have very little doubt 2020 is going to be the exact same. And these people aren't going to like it at all. Like, oh my god, you have no idea how much they won't like it. They're going to pull the whole, this is rigged shit. They were going to pull with Trump. They almost got the pull with Trump. Until it was rigged in their favor. I mean, this is just hilarious to me, seriously. This whole district shopping bullshit should end, in my opinion, first off. But second off is just a clear example of people not liking you. That's why you have to district shop. You were really such a great populist when you were able to run anywhere. Wouldn't you be able to run anywhere? And for that matter, if you were such a great populist, which Republicans, which America First Republicans, won in 2020? 
Can anyone point me to a single example of one that won? No, you can't. You can't because this ideology is fundamentally unpopular. This isolationist ideology is fundamentally unpopular, but they can't stand that. Hence why they keep declaring themselves the true populist and convincing themselves the system is just rigged. When no, it's just that nobody likes you. Because you're stupid. Okay, that's why you're not winning elections, because nobody likes you. You get to be another losing loser right next to Chris Kobach. And probably come November, Laura Loomer. But, okay. Okay. And come November, Jeff Sessions as well. Jeff Sessions is not getting a Senate seat. He is not getting a Senate seat back. Which is a shame, because he was the first one to endorse Donald Trump. It's like this idea is unpopular or something, and he's going to lose it to Tommy Tuberville, who they all hate. They declared a neoliberal uh, who is it actually Israel first. I'm like, Jeff Sessions? Really? Jeff Sessions isn't a Zionist? Okay. That's stupid, and if you believe that, you're stupid. And they're all, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. America first is a key word in politics now. And it officially means I'm going to lose. Anyway, while all the news is focusing on imaginary wrongdoings of China, I figured it's only fair that I actually talk about some real wrongdoings of China. Now, this came out recently. It's from account Things China Doesn't Want to Know. Breaking. Political coup, Hong Kong, Monday, May 18th. Security guards dragged several pro-democracy lawmakers from the Hong Kong legislature. After nine-plus pro-democracy lawmakers are forcefully removed, the vote proceeds. Pro-communist Starry Lee is unanimously elected as chairperson. Uh, Pro-Beijing security guards hold the door shut as the illegal vote continues and pro-democracy lawmakers bang the door from the outside. Uh, summary, lawmakers arrived to find pro-Beijing politician Chan King Poor sitting in the chairperson's seat surrounded by security guards. Pro-democracy lawmakers arrive and summon the podium with signs reading CCP Tramplants Hong Kong Legislator, among others. Shin Care Poor is cheating in protest. Pro-democracy politician Lam Ching Ting stood on a bench and tore up a copy of the rules and procedures. 15 of 20 pro-democracy legislators were forcefully removed from the chamber. Chan said lawmakers who did not return to their seats could not vote. Security guards held the door shut while the vote proceeded, and lawmakers pounded the door from the outside. So that's what China is actually doing that's wrong, but they also have a trade, or we have a trade deficit with them, so let's focus on that. I'm sorry, but where is the outrage on this from Yohar Mazzani or Josh Hammer? Josh Hammer tweets daily that it's the Chinese Communist Party. That's the reason the COVID-19 outbreak started. Now, that's complete nonsense. We know that's not true. Where is he on Hong Kong? On the struggles that are still going on in Hong Kong, he's oddly silent. Probably because Josh Hammer doesn't actually believe in freedom. Well, okay. He does, but he views freedom as like this box. His really small box. That maybe the federal government can't always chip things off of. But, 
pay if pre-existing laws that haven't been declared unconstitutional chip off of them, or if state governments chip off of them, that's fine. No one takes issue with that. These are the same people. If you want to know where their priorities are, these are the same people who think that it's the common good to ban pornography, but not to demand an accusation. I have no idea how they came to that conclusion. I don't want to know how they came to that conclusion, because knowing how they came to that conclusion would probably make me dumber as a result. And this is what China is actually doing that nobody ever talks about. And the main reason being, they want to portray it as if the only other countries in this fight against China is the U.S. They want to make it seem like the whole world's at China's grasp. Hence why they're also demonizing the World Health Organization, the United Nations, for being quiet on... When does the United Nations, like, scream loudly? I mean, every now and then they need to pass non-biting resolutions against Israel. I guess that's something. Doesn't actually do anything, but hey... There was a resolution, and it was passed, and it is critical of Israel. Um, despite the fact that this fight against global authoritarianism, which we were winning, by the way, which we had been winning until nationalists seized control of our government, and specifically made sure that any attempt would fail in the 2000s, we are seeing that be completely moved away from, despite the fact the struggle against global authoritarianism is a global struggle. If you are a nationalist, serious question, what issue could you take with what China is doing in Hong Kong? Seriously. What issue could you take with what China is doing in Hong Kong? I mean, Hong Kong is part of China, at least according to China, and, well, according to most international agreements. It was part of the British for a long time, and maybe it still should be, by the way. Uh, or maybe it should just be an independent country. I like that one better. But we don't hear about this. Instead, we hear about nonsensical conspiracy theories that if you question, Tom Cotton will call you a communist. Um, about, well, actually, I don't know if you know this, but COVID-19 was created in a biolab. No, it wasn't. And actually, there are no wet markets. Yes, there are. Seriously, that's what Fox News claimed. There were no wet markets in Wuhan, China. Every single piece of observable reality debunks that. And they're focusing on that primarily to distract you from what's really going on. And that is the growing authoritarianism worldwide. Because they love that. They absolutely love that. The people who are pretending, who are say they're China hawks, love global authoritarianism. Seriously. A lot of them admit to it. Donald Trump says he admires Kim Jong-un. And praised Saddam Hussein on the campaign trail. Why well, we never hear about that. Instead, what we always hear about is how actually China is bad because we buy stuff from them. Therefore, we're running a trade deficit, despite the fact most economists don't really care about trade deficit. 
The fact is, you should be furious at China, don't get me wrong, but not for the reasons the Republican Party wants you to be. When a Republican says you should be angry at China, it's usually to deflect from what they have done. That's just a fact. That does not mean that there aren't reasons to be angry at China, though. And this is just another one of them. And that's all for tonight. I'm Ephraim, and I'm signing out. Um, follow me on Twitter at EphraimJoseen1. If you have anything you want to send me, send it to PeacefulGlobalistReview at gmail.com. That's PeacefulGlobalistReview at gmail.com. It's just the name of the show at gmail.com. And for that matter, if you enjoy my show, you'll probably enjoy my book, Ramblings of a Madman, Life as an Anarchist. So check that out. Good night.